Hello and welcome to the CRE with Cobalt Banker Commercial Worldwide Podcast. My name is Christina Ballas, the National Director of Strategic Implementation for CBC, and I'll be your host. Today, we are rejoined by Dan Spiegel, Managing Director of Coal Banker Commercial. If you are new to tuning in, Dan's commercial real estate credentials span over 30 years, but has been the leader of CBC for four years now. He leads Coal Banker Commercial from a franchising perspective, as well as the company-owned CBC Realty. 2022 was a year of serious growth for Dan and his entire network of professionals. But as you know, businesses ebb and flow. I'm excited to kick off the year with the Cola Banker Commercial 2023 Outlook on the business. Welcome back, Dan. Thanks for joining us again. Hey, it's great to be here, Christina. Thanks for having me again. Awesome. Well, before we jump really deep into the content, I think it's important to let our listeners know what goes into the development of your brand's annual outlook. Right. It's a good question because I think we do it a little bit differently than, um, I guess every report's a little bit different, but ours, we combine a look at the statistics, you know, the numbers and the data that are reported for commercial real estate. Uh, but then we we also have in-depth conversations with our commercial brokerage professionals across the company uh, uh, in markets big and small. So we really like to get a sort of in the trenches view of what's going on in the market. So we report not just on what you see in the headlines, because often those reflect, you know, the trends in the big city markets, but really get the perspective from our professionals or their clients via our professionals about what's being thought of in the markets in terms of buyers, sellers, uh, lessees across the country. So a combination of data as well as in-person interviews with our professionals. That's a great way to think about it. And I thought maybe for our listeners, when you say markets big and small, I feel like that's something really special about Cola Banker Commercial. Our footprint feels like it's everywhere. Um, what are some, you know, market examples of of where we really uh, dominate in the country? Right. Well, we are in markets all across the country of all different sizes. So absolutely, that's correct. Um, but so, some of our strongest or our biggest depth coverage is in some of the smaller markets. And by small, I don't mean, you know, 5,000 people. I mean, you know, mid-sized markets, 100 to 500,000 people, uh, some bigger, some smaller, as I said. But those markets, it's interesting, you know, do you have uh, local entrepreneurs in the commercial real estate space, but you, there's no shortage of institutional or regional players that want to invest in high growth markets that don't happen to be, you know, New York, Chicago, or LA. Um, so we do have a, a really good cross section. We do obviously talk to our professionals in large cities as well, uh, but we get a perspective, uh, as I said, in markets large, big and small um, across the country. For sure. Yeah. It's exciting to see our professionals that do really well in some of those big markets, but really getting to know some of our professionals that are in these mid-sized markets that really build their communities, you know, it deeply um, is is really an interesting kind of perspective to gather information while we're building a research paper. So this is really exciting to dig into. Okay, well, I want to kick off with kind of a hard-hitting question. I'm sure lots of people are very familiar with the concept of getting into a possible recession. It's in the news. People like to use that as a buzzword. But what is different this time around? Well, you know, I'm not going to play economist and declare whether we're in a recession or not. That's uh, that's a common question you hear uh, and read in the news all the time. And there are some specific guidelines as to what indicates a recession. This is a very interesting period, uh, both in, from an economic standpoint as well as in commercial real estate. 
So certainly we're we're going into a slowdown period of some sort. You know, I, I say the some sort because I don't know the length, I don't know the depth. Um, but I think the indicators are today that there is an ec- there there may be an economic slowdown, perhaps driven by perception more than anything else. There are expectations, gap in expectations. Some solid facts are out there. Interest rates have risen. No doubt that has an impact on real estate, both residential and commercial. Unemployment, on the other hand, if we were to look at the jobs report, I think it was last week, is close to a you know multi-decade low. So that's not typical of a recession. Um, so specific to commercial real estate, what we're finding is we're in a period that sort of began about, um, I don't know, I want to say the beginning of the fourth quarter of last year, where there was a developing gap in expectations of buyers and sellers as interest rates went up, cap rates, you know, the cha- there was pressure on to change cap rates. Um, so in other words, valuation and pricing. Um, and that generally, that period in commercial real estate means that people decide to pause a moment. So again, I'm not going to call that a recession. I'm going to say in real estate terms, that's a gap in buyer and seller expectations where a buyer says, hey, I'm going to sit on the sidelines and see what happens to pricing. And a seller says, hey, I'm going to sit on the sidelines and see maybe in six months if I can still get the pricing I'm expecting or I'd like to have. So that just causes a slowdown in overall volume of transactions. And I think that's exactly where we're at today. Yeah, that makes sense. When you say um, a pause in decision making, I think that's what you said. I was thinking like what considers a pause versus a total stop? And for you, is it like a six month time frame? Like what what do you think people are going to wait for? Yeah, that's a it's a good question. Uh, I you know it's only it's just like history. You'll only be able to write about it once we pass the period, right? So is it you know I'm I'm saying a pause now because I think what we heard from our professionals was uh, there were gaps. People weren't rushing to make decisions on the buy sell side on the sales market, or it could be true of leasing as well. And at this point, we were thinking it sounds like it feels like about a six month pause. At which point in time. Uh, again, uh, price expectations might come closer. Uh, we don't know what'll happen to interest rates. There's other external factors that may happen in that time period. But right now, I think it'll take that long for people to kind of accept where the market's at and the respective players in the transaction to make adjustments as as appropriate. You mentioned, you know, possibly there being a pause in leasing and sales, but I think in your outlook, you mentioned that there could be opportunity for thinking about financing differently between, you know, maybe flexing from lease to sale or sale to lease, vice versa. Can you get into some of those concepts? Uh, sure, I'll, I'll touch on a couple of them. But you know, for example, uh, one opportunity for property owners might be a sale lease back today, wherein the you know an owned property that you occupy is sold to an investor, and you agree to lease it back for a period of time. So that allows you to sell the property, free up the cash flow. Uh, and by entering into a lease, you have, you know, and not only do you have more cash flow, but you also have some flexibility depending on the term of that lease. Um, so that's sort of, I won't know if that's certainly not unique financing that sales sure. specs have been around for years, but it's an opportunity you might think of in different economic con- uh, conditions. Uh, we're expecting leasing activity. Again, I'll, I'll put the office segment, office property sector to the side for a moment, but leasing to some degree, you know, is a great alternative during times of, you know, sales uncertainty, right? Because you can extend a lease, you can decide to, you know, let's jump back in the market a year from now. Uh, let's extend our lease uh, or let's go into leasing and not invest into property right now because I don't know where things are going. Um, and not to mention leasing in general, if one is a leasing agent for an owner, 
Uh, leases always come up for renewal. There's always decisions that have to be made. So it's a part of the market that uh, is always, uh, you know, fairly active just by by the nature of what leasing is. Have you heard that lease terms are changing in any specific direction overall? Like, is there a generalization we can make? Well, I think, you know, again, so it depends on the property sector. Um, let's, you know, let's take the office sector, which has had the most uh, question marks about it for, gosh, over a year now. Um, without, uh, I think without a doubt, we didn't cover this in the report in terms of statistics, but without a doubt, uh, office users, particularly large office users, are not willing to lease as much space. If they have the opportunity, they're willing, they, they prefer to downsize, right? Because of the whole work from home, where is it going to be? We don't know. And they're preferring to take shorter terms, right? It makes sense, right? Let's let's wait it out. Um, you know, since I've already delved into this a little bit, I mean, that's where the work from home uh, question mark is in the in the world of work today. Like, how many people are going to actually go back to the office? How often? What days? What do they expect? We are still living that moment right now, right? We're not in it to, you know, I saw, I think I read something last week that, you know, 50% of workers are now back in the office, but I'm sure that's not, you know, nine to five, Monday through Friday, right? So companies are still figuring it out, employees are still figuring it out, and until employers and employees kind of settle on what's going to be the, we'll call it the next five years of work, you know, leasing, it makes sense to take shorter commitments. It's kind of exciting being part of like living through the case study part of an of an industry. You know, I just I can't wait to actually you know fast forward and then read about this and what what really changes. Obviously, COVID accelerated certain decision making when it comes to being flexible in office space and that sort of um, sector. But I don't know if rushed decisions are permanent ones. So we'll see how we'll see how that goes. It's definitely um, an interesting time to to watch it. Yeah, I, that's a great point. And I feel the same way. I feel like we're living like the world's biggest experiment right now in terms of, you know, who's going back to work, who's going to stay at home, what type of jobs, how has it impacted productivity? All those things are going to be looked back in a couple of years and will be studied, right? But we're in it now. And from a real estate perspective, if one is a uh, business owner or a real estate director who's making these decisions, you know, you're going to take a fairly conservative approach based on what you know today. And that is, gosh, I'm not sure my employees are coming back or how much they want to be in the space. You know, that said, there are industries like lab science industries that, that you can't do from home, right? I'm just going to pick one or, or you know, medical to some degree. Yes, you can do some uh, medical appointments at home, but you, you know, you can't have uh, x-rays at home or something like that, right? So there are definitely types of, um, of in-office activity that will continue into the, into the future. You know, when you were talking about, you know, the way people work, it had me also just going back to, and you touched on it before, but just the labor market and unemployment and how that's really kind of uh, created some of the shifts in commercial real estate as well. So I just wanted to talk about that because it's interesting. It, on one end, just anecdotally with friends, you hear the economy is plummeting or it's possibly a recession. And on the other side, unemployment's the, the, the least it's ever been. And... You know, I don't know too many folks in in my area that are jobless. So it's it's a tale of two stories almost. But obviously, the labor markets are really affecting our space. You know, how can we think about those shifts or will it shift? Uh, listen, labor markets are very important when it comes to commercial real estate. And it's across all property types. So let's take one of the biggest things right now. In, in a longer term work from home or work from anywhere environment, the labor force, at least in the last several years, has chosen 
to relocate in some part to smaller metro areas or the Sunbelt states of sorts, right? The uh, Southeast and, and Texas. Right there, you have a significant, you know, significant enough change to impact commercial real estate. And when it comes to one investing in commercial real estate, you're like, you know, people are are pausing going, hey, you know, I there there's growth opportunity here because there are growing markets out there. So there's a labor force dynamic of, uh, you know, as a consequence of work from home, work from anywhere that's driving some commercial real estate. Other, you know, areas, you know, having a, a low unemployment rate means that uh, stores have to use more automation and checkout. I think we're pretty used to now grocery store, drug stores doing self-checkout, right? Think about what that means in terms of labor force and store design. And then warehousing in particular, a lot of warehouses, you know, warehouses has been a huge boom of industry because of the uh, the uh, retail, the shift from retail in-store in part to, you know, delivery at your doorstep. Uh, and that means, you know, warehouses have to be delivered and uh, designed differently to rely more on mechanized and sorting and packaging and that sort of thing. And it means they might locate if they're not as uh, locate differently, if they're not as contingent on labor force as they might have been in the past, then they can really pay attention to the best distribution locations and uh, use automation in place of, of workers. So there's a variety of things. So I'm just touching on a handful, but workforce dynamics very much impact commercial real estate. Interesting. As you're talking about, you know, workforce and the office sector kind of being affected, right, by, by work from home, I started thinking just about my own habits or people, you know, people I know's habits. Um, the one industry that I think will definitely see more local growth and that you touched on in the outlook is medical or medical retail or medtail. And that seems so realistic because now that I'm not commuting or now that a lot of people are not commuting as much, you really want certain services that are need-based to be much closer to home. So that's an, I think that's a really interesting industry to watch. Yeah, medtail or medical retail is, is uh, longer term is definitely has been and will continue to be a growth. I mean, first of all, it's a shift in the economics of hospital systems. They, you know, they found that it makes sense to be closer to their client base. I was going to say consumers, but we're all consumers of medical, right? Sure. Um, and I will tell you this, you know, if I need to go to the doctor uh, and I need a test done, I'll just, uh, you know, I always tell the doctor, hey, just send in an order at the closest clinic. So I don't really have to rush down, you know, go to the office, which might be five miles away, and I can do it one mile away, right? And then there's all the uh, sort of outpatient type services, dialysis and, and things like that, that the physical therapy, occupational therapy that, you know, maybe in, in years past, you would have had to go to a hospital or to a, an office building next to a hospital. Boy, it's a lot more convenient to go down the street. Maybe what we used to be a retail space is now a medtail space. Um, and you can pop over, do your appointment, and and go on about your day. So that's definitely been one of you know a number of growth areas um, in the you know retail sector or office slash retail sector. I'm really uh, I know Dan, you know this, but I'm very involved in my my downtown kind of revitalization and planning, and I'm in like a Main Street USA kind of town. And medical seems to be the only type of space that is not contented at meetings. You know, lots of people have opinions about. I don't know, certain retailer having an industrial space in their town or that sort of thing. But it just seems like such a like pushing that that was easy button to have like an urgent care or some sort of new service for these local families. And so I just wonder um, if if that's I don't know, it's it seems very common now, but it's definitely from a planning and development perspective, just at the government level seems like just an easy, an easy one to move on from, you know. 
a medical or medtail use does have some certain uh, requirements from a commercial real estate standpoint, right? I mean, you to depending on the type of location, you need parking and access and things like that. Uh, you may need secure drop off for tests and, and th there's things of that nature. I mean, to some extent, you know, the medical cannabis industry is also a medical use and that's been fast growing. I don't recall how many states uh, legalized medical cannabis use in the last election, but I think it's 17. I think we're up to 17 now. Yeah, it's, you know, so that's another growing area. I mean, you know, be it how you view it, but it is sure. in some people's minds a, a use of medical space, right? And, and something that a hospital system wouldn't do. So yes, I mean we touched on in this in the report, but that is definitely medtail and and sort of related is definitely a growth area. Physical therapy, occupational therapy, as I said, we have a number of clients that are doing multiple site locations. Um, it just it's a growth it's growth space right now. Keeping to the concept of you know towns and families, um, I wanted to talk about multifamily because I feel like that was really in a growth space a couple of years ago, really heavy. And in the outlook, it's saying it's slowing down a little bit. So let's talk about multifamily. Where are the shifts there? Well, let's, you know, multifamily is a couple things. So uh, I think of, you know, there's the traditional apartment multifamily, which, it, as you mentioned, has been a very hot commodity, so to speak, from an investor standpoint. And it, it seems like, you know, the, the remember there, the pandemic encouraged us, you know, to uh, acquire more space, be it for, for purchase or for lease. Or people that were former roommates decided they have to go out on their own and and lease more space. So I think the, what we found is the a the investor appetite has slowed on multifamily in part because the demand for multifamily might be flattening out and the ability for landlords to to have price increases over the years, you know, in the near term seems to be diminishing at the at, at the moment. That said, uh, another sector is the single-family rental home. That is essentially multifamily, right? It's not multifamily. I should say it's rental with family. It's rental. Uh, it's not multifamily because they're single-family homes, but at the same time, it's it's an alternative to an apartment. And that segment has boomed in recent years. Now, that segment has also flattened out uh, with the changes in house pricing and interest rates and things like that. Um, but don't forget, you know, a what might have been a move into a multifamily unit uh, four or five years ago, uh, might have taken place into a single-family rental unit today, so that lowers the demand for traditional apartment buildings and complexes. I know we're not negative on multifamily. We're just saying, hey, it's it's we're at a peaked out. It seems like its growth prospects in the near term aren't what they were uh, just a year or two ago. Still growing, just not as greenly. Got Correct. Correct. Got it. Well. That is really interesting thinking about people and the way that they are moving and consuming and that sort of kind of aspect of commercial real estate. But I really wanted to switch into um, talking about industrial and retail and that, you know, that industry uh, in regards to, I mean, you touched on it a little bit, obviously, but I really wanted to dig into industrial because this just seems like the interesting sector to watch right now, at least for me, it just seems really, really exciting to think about and all the just between labor and supply chain and just it's wildly interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, you can't, in a sense, you can't separate industrial and retail because retail requires industrial, requires distribution, be it just to the stores or last mile distribution, you know, the Amazons and so forth. So those two are very interconnected. So actually, I mean, let's talk about both retail and industrial. So one is, I smile and I wish we could people could see us now, but I'm saying like, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, retail was dead. No one's going to a store, right? 
Um, and it's a little bit odd, but people are still going to stores. People want experiences. One thing the pandemic has brought out or the this current era is people want to be in restaurants. They want to have experiences, right? So that uh, the retail segment is actually, in my mind, is done surprisingly well considered where people thought it was two years, two or three years ago when the pandemic began. Now, the industrial space has been hot, hot, hot for the last, gosh, two years now. Uh, and even still, you know, I know I'm in the Chicago area. I can say the all former Allstate uh, insurance campus is being torn down and redeveloped primarily into, you know, large high box distribution space. I think I read that an office complex just up the highway 294 is also being potentially torn down into distribution space. So distribution space is still in high, high demand. Remember, a slowdown industrial might mean the vacancy rate in places like uh, Inland Empire in Southern California or Las Vegas is going from a half percent to one and a half percent or two percent. That is still a historically very, very low rate of availability for industrial space. So uh, I, we're, we haven't peaked out certainly on the demand for distribution space in particular, and we still see good strong prospects for um, for industrial space. Uh, over the next several several years. Just again, keep in mind that in, in going from zero vacancy to 3% is not a crisis. It is definitely a change. Uh, and there it reflects some slowing demand perhaps, but the demand has not gone away. Yeah, for sure. I think um, when you talk about retail and the resurgence really of retail, I think what's interesting to observe is those retailers that do think about the experience have really won out. I think that the old kind of way of shopping or, or just kind of the big box kind of stores for the most part, I think are probably still struggling or still using their retail space like a distribution center really with the buy online pickup in store. But um, those experiential retail spaces that maybe have, you know, just uh, living spaces, retail spaces, medical and you know, like someplace that you can use as a destination are just uh, exploding. You might, I mean, just from what I'm seeing, but it's it's an interesting one to watch as well. Yeah, retail has, there's a lot about retail. I mean, again, just as true of commercial real estate, and I think we try to touch on this report, don't let headlines fool you, yeah. right? Uh, just because there are empty storefronts in downtown office markets where there's not the office workers today, or there's empty stores or empty malls where malls have just become obsolete, it doesn't mean retail's over, right? What we're seeing is the redevelopment of those malls into distribution, living communities, lifestyle communities, and things like that. It's a shift, right, uh, of how that retail is positioned or less retail, more living, uh, because people want to be able to walk out to the store or get packages delivered in the same day. Um, so there's, there's definitely some bright spots in retail. Um, and it's a mixed bag. Again, if you walk in a downtown market and you don't see the restaurants open, you're like, yeah, retail sad. But it really, really, really depends on the market where you're at. And as we mentioned earlier, with the labor force in part having chosen to go to Sunbelt states and so forth, retail in those markets is doing well, right? Do you need a regional shopping center or a you know a uh, power center or something like that? Uh, perhaps with different kinds of anchors. You know, it's not a Bed Bath and Beyond like it would have been in the past. Um, but they are still demand just simply because the population is there. For sure. One thing that I was thinking about that I don't remember if we touched on, I had a note to to get into it is, I want to say I read, talking about headlines, I'm going to say I read that some of the office space in New York City was being planned to be converted to multifamily living units. And 
uh, maybe a year or so ago when we were pontificating about those ideas, we thought, oh gosh, it's going to be such a hard way to think because bathrooms and plumbing and they're central. And how do you, uh, you know, accommodate for that? I mean, how do you even, I'm having a hard time putting my brain around how you convert such traditional office space to residential space. And are we going to see that in other markets or is it really just the big city like New York issue that we had with people not going back to work there as much? Yeah, the conversion from office to housing uh, is definitely a topic you read about all the time now. Now, the practicalities of it are still, you know, first of all, you have pricing, right? Which you, if you can't buy a, an office building at $300 a foot, if the price for multifamily is $200 a foot, it's just not going to work, right? So the pricing, first of all, has to be there. Second, you have issues of things like zoning, right? Where cities have zoned certain parts of town to be office and that has to be reworked. Okay. Third, you have physical plant, right? So many office buildings are built, you know, out of fairly big, um, you know, floor plan, right? Because you have artificial light that brings light to the middle of the space. Well, you know, there are cities like New York that require a window to be not further than X, you know, from the interior space, right? So that you don't have these dark apartments if you think about tenement housing and things of, of a century ago, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so all these things, and then plumbing's another one. The office buildings aren't built for showers and and other kinds of plumbings on every floor. How about parking, right? Yeah. Um, and what about parks? You know, when you live in an apartment building, you want to be able to walk to a park. So there's, I'm not saying that's insurmountable. It's just there's a lot of steps yet to go to. There will be some conversion, just like, you know, warehouse buildings uh, have been really cool is is converted into to family or, or multifamily or, or condos uh, or even office space as well. We'll get to a point where some office space and these issues will be worked out, um, but we're still we're not there yet. It's a great idea because the studies show that the U.S. is short of housing. So it sounds like a great idea, but there's still a lot of work to be done. Uh, to figure out how to make it happen in uh, cities and in suburbs across America. For sure. Well, what other interesting property conversions are we seeing in the market? Well, as I, I touched on a little bit earlier, you are, you know, in, in places where regional malls uh, have, you know, passed their prime, so to speak. You know, they, they were popular in the 70s, 80s, and now they're not. I think you see the uh, the large former department stores either being used for entertainment space, right, uh, you see them used for distribution space, or you see them removed and the whole mall kind of opened up and turned into a multifamily living with, you know, entertainment restaurants and stores, right? More like a little town center, things like that. So that's definitely one uh, redevelopment uh, redevelopment opportunity that's out there. Uh, I mentioned earlier the, you know, conversion of obsolete office space, especially, you know, suburban spaces that are sitting on big pieces of land, if they're suitably located into industrial so that's certainly a possibility. Uh, we touched on the office to multifamily. Yes, it's a possibility. When it's going to happen, I'm not sure because of the the issues identified a moment ago. But you know, listen, good real estate developers uh, are thinking always about where the market's going and looking for those opportunities. It doesn't matter what size the community is. There's some of these opportunities pretty much everywhere, uh, and it takes a good broker working with them to kind of help them think through like what's possible, right? What are the kind of buildings that might be possible? Uh, But I love, listen, I love adaptive reuse space, you know, be it office to hotel. It's just cool, right? I think a lot of people do. And so there's always people out there thinking about what's the next best use for a a space that doesn't have a, a current, you know, best use. It's interesting, and I, I, I think I can talk about this on, on this episode, but 
I was talking to Jane, who's worked on both this research um, that goes into the Outlook, as well as um, she's a research analyst. And um, she was telling me about a use case for one of our professionals that went through the void analysis and brought it to their local township, you know, a local planning board meeting, that sort of thing, and actually got a different an area that was up for debate rezoned to what fit the void analysis. And I just thought that was a really effective use of the tools that, you know, CBC offers their professionals, but really thinking, you know, through the whole process. It's not just about having a space and making sure that you can sell or lease it. It's really thinking about where is the gap and being that professional to help take that through, even from the planning perspective. And I just thought that was so interesting that that was used that way. Yeah. So first of all, the shout out to Jane Thorne-Leeson, who is our research and resources analyst, uh, uh, both who conducts analysis as well as writes this report. Uh, and second, the avoid analysis is just one of many analytical tools, mobile data analysis, among others, that we use with clients. So there's less guesswork going into what should this corner be developed at? What kind of use should be in the store? So avoid analysis is a way of using data to determine what's maybe missing in the marketplace. Uh, and you can, in a developer or investor can say, hey, I, I'm going to position this for X, right? Because I think that's the best opportunity. And that may require rezoning, right? And if, you know, so this is used both by property owners. It is used by municipalities. We've worked with some clients in around the country, including in this area, like Northwest Indiana, for them to understand how they might develop some particular land uh, and zone that land for development. So it's, yeah, it is a pretty cool uh, tool that we have at our hands for our clients. For sure. Well, I'm left now with, I think, a few topics that are, that to me bubble up on shifting kind of, I don't know, the way I'm thinking of it is shifting power a little bit. So one concept of, you know, it being a tenants market just seems like a little bit of shift in power. And then the other thing I was going to talk about is the power of cash buying and 1031 exchanges right now. So those are two that I wanted to touch on before we we come to our conclusions here. Right. So uh, a couple of things you mentioned there. So let's see if I can remember them. Uh, <laughs> first of all, you know, there are professionals say there are still a lot of cash buyers out there. As I said at the very beginning of this podcast, there's a pause. People aren't necessarily willing to deploy the cash right away. But as soon as the market, uh, the feeling in the market that is that it's reached equilibrium and and there's, you know, you know, fair pricing or the pricing will not shift further, there are plenty of buyers out there willing to buy with cash. So that that's uh, there's no shortage, I say, from our professional standpoint, uh, viewpoint that uh, the buyers aren't there. They're, they're definitely there. So interest rates is important. Uh, interest rates, you know, has an impact on, on cap rates relative to what you can get in returns and 10-year treasuries and that sort of thing. But cash buyers also, you know, don't necessarily have to uh, have the same dynamics and of borrowing money and paying you know higher current bar borrowing rates. Uh, Ten thirty one exchanges that that was really a lot of what fueled the market in twenty twenty two. People uh, earlier in the year, kind of prior to fourth quarter, uh, people investors taking advantage of uh, uh, what they thought was good pricing or a timing in the market to sell. Uh, but then to avoid the tax consequences, they had to place the money really fast. And it has been a challenge. We have a couple of teams around the country that do nothing but try to place money in 1031 exchanges before the required IRS deadline. Um, and that, you know, well, that activity is going to slow relative because sales will slow. There's still a need every time a sale happens if the investor would like to trend, flip the money, so to speak, into another investment to avoid the tax consequences of uh, of the sale. 
Um, well, I'm trying to remember what the third was now, Christine. What was the third? That it's shifting tenants market. Ah, yes, that's right. Yes. So, yeah, there's no doubt. I think we sort of touched on this earlier. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, again, it depends on the segment. I think in industrial, I would not say it's a tenant's market today, but in the office market in particular, listen, landlords are going to be aggressive um, and brokers, I and mean, that's their job is to you know create competition and get the landlord to uh, propose the best terms for a lease to, re to secure a tenant or to retain a tenant in a property. Um, so it is, it is uh, for some segments of the property market, a tenant's market. Uh, in which they can, you know, have their pick of spaces. Again, industrial being tight vacancy, not really. Retail, in, in many cases, not really, because retail is so dependent on the site. And if you if you, you have, there's only one availability, and that's the site you need to be at, then you know you you lose some of that leverage. Um, but definitely in the office market of anything, um, and, and even in the housing in the apartment space, I, I don't know the stats off the top of my head, but I believe even things like free rent and rent concessions have have moved up. Uh, in recent months. So, you know, I wouldn't say it's a renter's market by, you know, it depends around the where you are in the country, but it's certainly looser than it was uh, a year ago. All right. Well, you hit all of my hot bullet points from the Coal Banker Commercial 2023 outlook. Um, I wanted to ask you as leader of Coal Banker Commercial, why is CBC poised to help deliver on the next year uh, in their growth markets or in general? Well, I will say CBC, you know, I, I think we it's through our work that we did in this study. In other words, we used the facts and the data, but we also combine it with this, the street level knowledge, if you will. Um, and CBC professionals, that's their that's their secret sauce, so to speak. They are very much passionate about finding paths for success for their clients, given the local market and conditions that are out there. So decisions are not made based on gut only or you know, gut, hunch, or headlines, right? People are actually thinking through the opportunities in the market. You know, I don't, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to cite markets here, you know, across the country, but there are markets where, you know, maybe industrial is not the thing to buy. Maybe it's actually office. Again, I we've had, we have some new assignments, leasing office space, right? Believe it or not, there are markets where they've built office space because not enough. So don't, you know, really important to rely on your brokerage professional or CBC professional to help advise you on the best move. Maybe the best move is not to buy and to lease. That's okay, right? That's good advice because it all depends on an individual company or investor's uh, criteria for decision-making at that point in time. For sure. Well, I'm going to share with you my key takeaway and then let me know if there was something different that you wanted to highlight. But for me, this year is all about building on the momentum of last year and finding paths for success. You just said that a couple seconds ago. So there's still a lot of growth out there, growth opportunities out there. I mean, in certain sectors, it may not be as fast or as big, but there's still a lot of opportunity out there. And it's really about, you know, maybe maybe taking as other buyers and sellers are pausing, maybe as a professional, it's a moment to just pause, breathe, and just take an evaluation of where in your market has the growth opportunity shifted to so that you can kind of flex your ability to serve your clients and yourself really in your own business. So those are my, that's my key takeaway from this. Did I miss any, any major ones for you? I think those are great takeaways, Christina. I would probably add to it, you know, there are opportunities in every market. Uh, the This current pause is not a repeat at this point, anyone's view of 2008 you know, nine, 10 recession, that sort of thing. The fundamentals of the real estate markets are not out of whack, at least on the commercial side in most part. Um, so there are opportunities and, and work with a professional, think outside perhaps your region, 
Um, you know, if it's your region is not a growing region, there are parts of the country that have, you know, inbound population that have commercial real estate growth are good prospects for investment. And uh, and think about that as an opportunity. Right. Well, if anybody wants to connect with you about the 2023 outlook or anything commercial real estate related, what is the best way people can get in touch with you? Well, I, I always say there's two ways. One is LinkedIn. If you're if you're active on LinkedIn, I certainly am. You can connect me, send an in message there. The other is to email me at dan.spiegel, S-P-I-E-G-E-L, at cbhomeoffice.com. Uh, and I'm happy to connect with, with all the listeners uh, or any of the listeners or people they, they forward or have questions. And, and we'll always put the right people uh, in touch with you to, to meet your needs or answer your questions. Wonderful. Thank you so much for such... An interesting conversation uh, for any of you that liked this episode. Uh, feel free to go back and listen to some of our other um, episodes. And don't forget to like and subscribe this podcast. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon.